This is episode number 655 with UFC fighter Michelle Watterson. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. True champions aren't always the ones that win, but those with the most guts. Mia Hamm. Welcome to the episode today. You matter. You're an important human being in this world, and I hope you know that today because we're all about spreading positivity and finding out what our true passion is, how we can continue to overcome life's greatest challenges and move closer towards our dreams. You have that potential to do that today. You have the potential to take one step closer to the life you want to live, and this is your daily reminder for that. Today, we've got Michelle Watterson in the house. She is a, an MMA competitor in the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, former Invicta FC Adam weight champion. And as of December of 2017, she's ranked number seven contender in the UFC women's straw weight division. And Fight Matrix ranks her as the number 23 women's straw weight fighter in the world. And between 2013 and 2014, she was ranked number one in women's atom weight in the world. And we had a good time connecting a few months back through a mutual friend, Aubrey Marcus, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, who's a New York Times bestselling author as well. And we just really connected and hit it off. And she was in LA. I said, why don't you come on the show? Because I want to learn more about the way you think. And this is fascinating because she was a former ring girl. She was literally walking around the ring uh, with a number of the round that was you know, the, the, the fight was happening in what round it was. She would walk around in a bikini and high heels and then decided I want to do what they're doing in the ring. And now she's one of the top competitors in the world at this. So it's a fascinating story of how she started doing something that wasn't her path and then discovered what it was. Everyone made fun of her and laughed at her. They're like, there's no way you can go in the ring and do this when you're a ring girl walking around the ring. And uh, the way she thinks, her mindset, and some of the challenges that she faces as well, she talks about. And I think it's extremely powerful and inspiring. So uh, make sure you share this with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 655 to share this out. Take a screenshot right now and post it on your Instagram story. Let people know to listen to this. What we cover in here are how she got started when it was also very taboo for women to be fighting. This was before... UFC had women fighting. She got into it. Also, what it takes to be a champion and be vulnerable. How to build the mental confidence to win and be vulnerable and loving. How to respect your opponent. I thought this was a really powerful answer when she talked about respecting your opponent. And how to come back mentally after a loss. And how some people actually never come back. We're going to talk about those steps and how this can apply to your life as well. Whether you're a fighter or uh, a mother or someone just going after your, your dream job. It doesn't matter what it is. This all applies to your life, and I want to make sure that you get those lessons out of this. Before we dive in, big thank you to the fan of the week. This is from TM Kenyon, who said, I've been listening and trying now to catch up on the latest 
for a year now. Each and every episode literally does something to change my mindset. This is a must listen for any human being that breathes on this earth. Good job with the guests you have on the show. Keep going. School of Greatness alum to 10.0, Thomas Kenyon. So Thomas Kenyon, you are the fan of the week, my friend. Thank you for being a part of this community for the School of Greatness Academy program that you went through. You got some great results. It was good to see you in there. For those that don't know about the School of Greatness Academy, it's something we launch a couple times a year to bring the community together virtually online to help you guys go through a process of unlocking your greatest gifts, reaching your potential and your goals, your mindset, your habits, your routines, all that stuff. You can check it out. Go to lewishouse.com, sign up for the newsletter, and we'll be announcing the next round of the School of Greatness Academy very soon. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. We've got Michelle Watterson in the house. Good to see you. Good to see you. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. We met in Austin through Aubrey Marcus, Mm -hmm. and we met really quickly and got to know each other in, in a vulnerable way because you shared some things about your life through a poetry, mm-hmm. actually, which we did a poetry workshop with NQ, who's been on the show. So it was cool to see that side of you. And you are a UFC fighter who beats women up for a living. <laughs> I try to. You try to. I try to. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my first question, I'm curious, as a fighter, what has it taught you about femininity and masculinity? Because you're I, a mother and a yeah. wife as well. So how do you navigate all that? I guess just I've never looked at myself like I'm super prideful for being a female in a a predominantly male-dominant sport, but I've never separated myself. I always just looked at myself as a fighter, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I feel like the minute you do separate yourself is when you start to like, create separation Mm. so you know all my teammates they don't look at me as a girl they look at me as their fighter and we train right along each other and we we sweat and we bleed and we cry together and we we become family and that's just how I've always looked at it right what is it about fighting that makes you love it well, I grew up doing martial arts. I have an older brother. And, uh, You're black, karate black belt, right? Uh, yeah, a black belt in, in American freestyle karate. And um, I've done wushu and kempo. And my older brother, he, I wanted to be like him. And we grew up watching Karate Kid. And oh, yeah. Ninja Turtles. the leg. <laughs> <laughs> Ninja Turtles. I just showed my daughter in, like that, the, the original Karate uh-huh. Kid, and they loved it. She Was she watching the new one? She was watching the new one first. The one on YouTube? Then, no, the new one on YouTube. Have you seen this? No. The Kobe Kai, or whatever it's called. It's no. like the Karate Kid. What's his name? What's the actor, main actor's name? The Karate Kid. The uh, Jade, the new guy or the no, old no, no, guy? The, oh, the original Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Jeez, I don't know. He's yeah, been a part of so many like memes and pop culture. I forget his name too. But anyways, they've come back and filmed the original Karate Kid versus the bad guy, whatever the other kid who like swept the leg, mm-hmm. Daniel, right? Yeah. There's a YouTube series of them. 30 years later, competing against each no other. No way. And they both have their own, like, studios. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I have so, to look that up. I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen the trailers. Okay. Anyways, you show you, uh, you used to watch Karate Kid, Ninja Turtles. Yeah. And you wanted to be a Ninja Turtle? I wanted to be a Power Ranger, actually. Power Ranger? A Power Ranger, yeah. Oh. <laughs> My career as a, as a martial artist kind of evolved, and when I became an adult... It costs money to compete, and I needed to to make money. And um, I was going to college, 
And I, um, I was actually working at Hooters as a waitress at Hooters, paying my way through college. And I was also doing these side gigs. And I was actually, I became a ring girl for, really? <laughs> for like a local MMA fight. Yeah. And I'd never seen MMA before, but I was so intrigued. And I was watching these guys fight in, inside this cage. And I was walking around the cage with the little number. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I, that looks a lot more fun like inside around. there yeah and I was telling the promoter that I had martial arts background and I'd love to get into it and he kind of laughed it off and one of the guys that was actually fighting in the small promotion <clears throat> overheard me and he's actually he fights for the UFC now is Donald Cerrone and so he overheard me and came to my work and just was like if you're serious about training get your ass in the gym and so you were a ring girl in a bikini walking around <laughs> Showing like what round it is. Yeah. <laughs> Said, I want to be in there and punching people, not walking around in heels yeah. and bikini. Well, it's just like, it kind of just like all fell together, right? Like I grew up doing martial arts. I was, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of lost. Like in college, like I was really heavily involved in high school. Um, in martial arts. In martial or arts. But, and- yeah, but just like academically. And, and then went to college and it just... Nothing felt right. I just, I was really lost. You weren't sure like what major you wanted to do or what you wanted to do after. Yeah. You didn't have like a vision for your Nothing. life. Nothing. I felt lost and I, you know, I, I had good grades <clears throat> and everything, but it just. No I, direction. Yeah. Where'd you go to school? I went to DU. DU? Mm-hmm. What's DU? University of Denver. Okay. Mm-hmm. University of Denver. Got mm-hmm. it. Or Denver University. Got it. Got it. And <laughs> so, so throughout school, what, did you graduate then? I didn't. You did not. I didn't. I stopped. So you were, doing, you were a ring girl and a waitress in college mm-hmm. and then decided to stop and start training. Yeah. I, like I said, I was lost. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. Um, spending a lot of money going to classes and just feeling like it was taking me nowhere. So my mom and I went to Thailand to visit family. And when we were out there, we, I was like, hey, we're in the motherland of Muay Thai. Muay Thai. I might as well get some work in. And they kicked my butt. Wow. They kicked my butt for two weeks and they laughed at me because we trained like outside on a concrete floor and my feet blistered up and they laughed at me and said that I was weak and too soft. Yeah, too soft. And it fired me up. And I and and I wanted to it lit that fire back in me and it just reminded me of what my true path was, which is martial arts, you know, like so I was like, I, I just had this vision in my head that I had to finish high school. You know, I finished high school top 10 in my class, and I had to go to college, and then I had to find a fiancé and get married and have this white picket fence with two kids, and I thought that's what I had to do, and it just wasn't. Wow. So after that two weeks in Thailand, had you been to Thailand before? Yeah, when I was younger. Right. Mm-hmm. After that two weeks of training— what was the next step? Did you go back and train more with them or did you start training in Colorado or what was the next thing? Mm -hmm. I went back and I um, continued to go to school and then I just decided after the semester was over that it wasn't for me. So I dove completely into fighting and I started taking smokers. And What's a smoker? A smoker's like a Kind of, it's an amateur fight, but they okay. call them smokers because back in the day, they probably still have them. But They're like smoking before the fight or whatever? Well, they do them in like shady places like oh, yeah. bars yeah, and yeah. strip clubs and stuff like that. And there's like smoke all over. Take the beer off the table, put the ring up, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I did a couple smokers and maybe like six months later. Did you win those? 
Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've won, I won some, I lost some, but th- that's yeah. your amateur career. That's where you learn, you know. And way, way back then, there was really no amateur career. There was really no women fighting it, you know. When so, was this? What year? I turned pro in 2007. Wow. Mm-hmm. So when was the amateur then? How long was that from? I probably fought amateur for about a year and a half. Okay. Mm-hmm. 2005. Yeah. 2006, mm-hmm. gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you were doing that. There really wasn't many women fighting at the time. Mm-hmm. Except for maybe some smokers in the backyard or something. Yeah, it just, it wasn't, it was very taboo. Yeah. You know, it was very taboo for women to be fighting. And was, did there, were there women in the UFC at that time? No, 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 no. Really? At that time, Dana White, like, was seriously against women being in the UFC. He would e- even say it publicly, women don't belong in the cage. Wow. And there'll never be a place for women in the UFC. He like, said that, yeah. never. Yeah. When did that change? When he met Ronda. <laughs> so when did Ronda do her first fight in the UFC? I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I don't know the date specifically. I right, remember right. the event because yeah. it was it was huge for women's MMA to be able to have that platform. What was the vision for you then? If there was no women in UFC at the time that you were doing amateur fighting, where could you go? What was the next step after the smoker events was, what was the platform? So there were a couple different avenues that I could have gone, you know, but I do remember moving out to Albuquerque and living in the dorms of Jackson Winklejohn. And when I say dorms, it really wasn't a dorm. It was just kind of like a hole in the wall upstairs. I slept on a bunk bed bed (laughs) next to the fridge. But when I finally got my apartment, I remember putting up a vision board. And at that time, Dana White was in no way. But putting up a vision board and still like having fighting for the UFC up on the vision board. Fighting for the UFC. And there were a couple different things. But yeah, that, that was one of them. And it was just kind of like, maybe not now, but eventually. Eventually it'll get there. You know, so that was one of my goals. But also, like I said, I grew up watching martial arts flicks and stuff like that. I was like, man, I could be a Power Ranger. I could be a street fighter. I could, you know, do this and that. But really, the reason why I fought is because it really forced me to face my fears. I'm not a confrontational person. But fighting forced me to deal with, like, my fears and the conflict. Like, there's... Once they close the cage behind you, you can't like turn around and be like, okay, now I'm done. I'm just gonna get out of here. And yeah. you know, like, you gotta go to the end. Yeah, being afraid, like, everybody's afraid to get hit. Everybody's afraid of losing. Everybody's afraid of getting embarrassed, getting hurt, getting hurt, you know, bruising their ego. Just, I, I mean, so for me, it was a lot of, it was a lot of things that I was like overcoming personally in fighting. What was your biggest fears? That I wasn't good enough that I didn't belong, that those are probably the two. Those are probably the two biggest fears. That you weren't good enough and didn't belong in MMA or in general? Probably in general, Mm. yeah. And what's the biggest fear today? I'd have to say my biggest fear now is like getting in my own way, I guess. is like, can I handle, am, am I good enough to be successful? It's probably one of my biggest fears. What do you define as success? Yeah, I mean, that's something I'm still trying to figure out now, you know, especially having my daughter. After having my daughter, I'm just very content with my life because 
she is my everything, you know, and I have a great husband. And so that's kind of like struggle too. It's like, well, if I'm content in life, then what am I pushing forward towards? Like, what? why do I need to, why do I have this like hole that I f- feel the need to fill? Mm. You, know? you still have that hole? Yeah, for sure. I think that there are still some things that I want in my career. What do you want? I want to be, I want to be a champion. I want to be able to, like when I think about the martial artists that I watched growing up, it was always like, wow, I want to do that. I, that's a cool move. I want to do that. And I want to be able to be that person for somebody else. I want to leave a legacy to where people are, to where people talk about me like, yeah, she's a beast, you know, like she's, she's a, an amazing martial artist. I don't know, like to be able to do that. And one of the reasons why I got into martial arts is because of my instructor. He, he really was in my life at a pivotal moment. And so he changed my life for the better. Mm. And it, it would be nice to know that I can do that for others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does it take to be a champion in the UFC? Uh, I think you have to have a really strong, genuine, deep, confidence like it has it has to be like deep in your core it has to be unshakable you know you, so you can't doubt yourself at you all. can't doubt yourself at all and you have to you have to be two steps ahead of everybody else and um what does that mean because there's so many like different things that go into fighting you know it's not just physical of course it is obviously you have to be physically ready but once you surpass that, once once you you guys are all on the same level physically, then it becomes a mental game. Are you mentally sharp? Can you deal with the media? Can you deal with all the outside noise? Can you deal with all the inside noise in mm-hmm. your head? Can you deal with all of the other circumstances surrounding you as you are training for this fight? It's just so many different elements that go into it and everything has to fall into place. Yeah. For you to win that that one night. Yeah, one moment. One moment. Change everything. Mm-hmm. What do you do to silence the conversation that holds you back? I when it comes up. I take a deep breath and I tell myself confidence. And um, it just calms me. I feel like we all have that voice in our head, that like inner critic that will, in, in my mind, it's my mom, like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> my mom is just like super like critical and really? like has always, but I think it's just culturally, like that's how they raise their kids. It's kind of like a, that negative motivation, put the chip on your shoulder, you know, but I've been working a lot with a sports psychologist and he explains it to me in a way that, like, the same emotions you get when you're fearful are the same emotions you get when you're excited. We just perceive them differently. So anytime I do get nervous um, or afraid or anxious, I just take a deep breath and I tell myself confidence, and it reminds me to use that energy, that nervous Mm -hmm. energy, and transform it into good energy, energy that's going to feel me, energy that's going to build confidence within me and energy that's going to allow me to use it for, towards my benefit. Mm. 
One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. From the moment you get the announcement for a new fight and they say, okay, you're fighting in six weeks or eight weeks, whenever it is, how long does it usually take? Depends. Fight camp is usually anywhere between six and ten weeks. Six and ten weeks. Okay, say eight weeks away. We announced this, here's the date, two months. What's the challenging part for you physically and mentally from the moment you get the phone call to the moment you step into the ring? It's kind of like it goes in waves. I think at the very beginning when the fight gets announced, it's like, ah, it's go time, you know? So then just trying to get your nerves in order, watching tape, trying to break down your, your opponent. And then you kind of just get into a rhythm of fight camp and you, you forget about all that stuff. And then the clock starts ticking down and you start losing days. And um, you start to think if you've trained enough, you start to second guess yourself. Do I need to train harder? And then all the interviews roll in and they start asking you questions of things you never even thought about until they start asking you, well, you know, She's really good. She's a power puncher. And these are things you don't even think about. And then they say that, and it brings up that self-doubt again. And I'd say at the beginning of fight camp, it's nervous, and then it dies down. And then it comes back up. And then come fight week, if you've prepped yourself both physically. For me, I feel like the more physically ready you are, the more mentally content you can be mm-hmm. because you know you put in the work yes exactly and only you know that right if you <laughs> if you didn't put in the work you can lie to the media you can lie to everybody else you can try to put on a show and smile and say that you're ready and you're the fittest you've ever been but you only you know yourself if you've put in that time mm. so so for me like I'm most confident when I know I've put in the time but it's not just like it's not just putting in the time it's actually being present in those moments when I do put in the time. Because you can, right, it's like quality versus quantity. Because you can have good workout sessions, but mm-hmm. you weren't there. Yeah, you weren't present. And you weren't you present. Weren't and intentional with every rep. Yeah. yeah. You can have workout sessions where you are present. Maybe not so many, but they mean more because, because you were there in right. the moment. In your opinion, what does it mean to respect your opponent? And how can you be respectful to your opponent when you're fighting them and pounding their face in the ground? That's a hard one. That is a hard one because, I, like I said, like I'm a people pleaser. I like to. I'm not trash talker. I'm, I'm not good at. It's a fine line, and wow. I think it depends on the person. Really, there have been fights where I have given my opponent too much respect, and maybe subconsciously felt like they deserved the win over mm, me. Really? Yeah. Why? Because of their status, because of their rankings, because I knew them personally. And that's hard. You have to shelf that. 
You have to shelf that. You have to say, I respect you. But at the end of the day, you and I are both getting in here to take each other's heads off. And if I don't get into the cage to do that, then I'm doing you a disservice. You're doing her a disservice. Yeah, because wow. I'm not giving her my 100%. Oh, you know, wow. I'm not giving her my my true warriors. I'll like take when, it easy on you. Yeah, like when you're like playing with your little sister or your little brother and they tell you no punching. So, you you know, you just, you kind of like scale it back. Like mm-hmm. You're doing your opponent a disservice when you, when you do that. And that's how I've had to look at it. I've had to look at it. I've had to take my opponent out of the equation. Like your feelings for them, yeah. your care for them, your mm-hmm. I had to go into the octagon and tell myself that I deserve to win because I've put in all the time, I've put in all the work. Mm-hmm. You know? And whatever happens after that happens. Yeah. Kind of. What has your biggest losses taught you about yourself? I guess probably just the most obvious one is that there's always somebody bigger and badder than you. Sometimes you can be 100% ready for something and still fail. Really? Was there a time where you felt like you were so prepared, you had, you were going to win, mm-hmm. and then you didn't win? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. How does that feel? Like crap. <laughs> like crap. It's so, like, you know, like losing in front of millions of people. It's kind of like a nightmare that, like, haunts you. When you win, the high is so high. Mm. And when you lose, it's just incredibly low. And I think that's probably another reason why we do it is because of those in, like endorphin rushes. But it's funny because when you win, you don't really take the time to break apart your performance and see what you did well and see what you didn't do well. But when you lose, it's like you go back and you, you relive the moment over and over and over and over again. And oh, what if I did this differently what if I did that differently was it because of the fight was it because of my weight cut was it because things that happened outside of my fights and you start to like like spiral out of control of all these what ifs and I remember talking to my coach about one of my losses and trying to figure out why I lost really and I was talking to him and I was like what if I did this differently and what if I did that and he just stopped me and he said peanut like that's what they call me at the gym, peanut. You just went left instead of right. Mm-hmm. Like, leave it's it at that. The, yeah. yeah, like, leave it at that. Mm. Because if you keep trying to do this to yourself, like, you're going to take away the good that you did in the fight, and you're going to stop believing in yourself. It was just a split second of you being right. being in the wrong place at the wrong time, you mm-hmm. know? So that was kind of like a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. How do you manage the emotions up and down? I think you just kind of have to ride the wave. Mm-hmm. You ride the wave and you have to know that they're going to come. Yeah. yeah. Is there any fighter, men or women, that manage the emotions really well that you're aware of where they're not too high and they're not too low? Mm-hmm. The girl that I look up to the most when it comes to fighting and also just in life in general is probably Holly, Holly Holm. She's pretty good with managing emotions. She's very, like, even keel. She's, mm. like, very... She never gets ahead of herself. She does. She's very humble. She doesn't... She dethroned Ronda Rousey and still, after the fact, was very humble about her win, mm. never talked smack <clears throat> about her, even, even though all throughout the press conferences leading up to the fight, Ronda was just putting her down left and right. 
Holly never, you know. Never put her down? Never put her down, even yeah. after the fact. <clears throat> That's pretty impressive. Never put her down. And I've also seen Holly get knocked out cold. You have. In a fight and muster up the humility to go to the press conference and congratulate her opponent. Wow. And then come into the gym on Monday and train. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, she's an amazing woman. Wow. She really is. What's the biggest lesson you've learned from her? To do. She just does. Mm. No questions. You know what I mean? She's just a doer. She's not analyzing it or being <clears throat> fearful. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to do it anyways. She's a worker. Win or lose, she continues to trek forward and, and has that belief in herself that she is great. Yeah. You know? yeah. What was the most challenging emotional wave you had to experience leading up into a fight that was personal, that wasn't about the fight? I'd have to say it was two fights ago when I was getting ready to fight Tisha Torres. So my fight got announced. There was a lot of great things happening. Tisha's a, her and I are like neck and neck in the rankings. My husband and I just put money down for a brand new house. And then we get a phone call from my husband's mom telling us that his dad got in a really bad car accident. And I mean, we, that's all we knew. You know, it was the beginning of our fight camp, and usually we don't travel or do anything. Once fight camp hits, we're just focused. focused. But um, there was just something in her voice that that we knew something was wrong. So we just packed up our stuff and drove out. They live in El Paso. It's about three and a half hours out, and we drove out. And she's um, just, like, very frantic and talking to her and— you know how the doctors are. Sometimes when stuff like that happens, they, they can't sugarcoat what has happened. They have to give you the facts factually so that you can deal with it moving forward. And the doctors told her that he would never walk again. We were just, there was just like a numb feeling, you know? It was just like incredible high to like, we didn't even know what to do, mm-hmm. really. Like... I think the the saddest part about it all is that like Josh's parents are like, you know, they've been they had him when she was sixteen and they'd been together, like that's all they knew. They mm-hmm. that's all they know. They know each other and they're like madly in love with each other and and that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with him is meeting his family and, and seeing the love that they had for each other. It's just like always going out on the weekends and, and dancing and partying and and to to think that that um, that he would never walk again, you know. But Josh is kind of like the rock of their family. I could tell that it was bothering him, but he had to stay strong because, yeah. because of the circumstances. And so he has a little brother, 21 years. He's going into sixth grade, and all this stuff happens. And so we don't know how long he's going to be in the hospital for. We don't know anything. But we have to pick up the pieces. So Jaden comes back to Albuquerque with us, and, um, and we enroll him in school. And mm. But while all this stuff is happening, I'm getting ready for my fight, coming, coming off a loss. 
and I feel selfish. I feel selfish when I wake up in the morning to get to go run. And like when I tell them that like I need to focus yeah. because I'm getting ready for this fight when my father-in-law can't even scratch his nose if he wants to. Mm. You know? So that was like something that like really weighed heavy on me is like how am I how can I be selfish in my training when my father-in-law is like fighting for his life, you know? Like I really struggled with that because I felt like it was like I shouldn't have been training for a fight. I should have been there for him. You know, we should have been there for him. Our whole family should have. Yeah. And like my husband, he's just like taking the brunt of it. He's he's the rock for everybody. He's the rock for them. He's the rock for me. So he broke. And that was like really hard for me to see because he's usually the rock for me, you know? And um, he... He broke in what way? He's been in the military. He's been overseas. He's like did door-to-door convoys for while he's in Iraq and worked in the prisons and stuff. And so, yeah, like he has PTSD and... But I've never seen him. I think he was just trying to hold it in for so long, and I was trying to like tell him, like, you gotta let it go, you know. He wanted. He doesn't want anybody to see that, you know. But and he's probably upset that I'm saying this now. But like, it was just like in our brand new house that we're supposed to be like super excited of having, and he just. I remember him going outside and just looking up at the stars and like I went out there to try to like comfort him and he just was like you should just go to bed like and and he just stayed out there and he like and he broke down you know and then maybe like a couple days later he called me and he like he he didn't know what was wrong but he said that his lips started going numb and that his fingers started tingling and his heart was pounding. He was wow. having a panic attack. Wow. But he didn't know. Like, he'd never had one ever before in his life. And, like, it freaked him out. And right now he's, like, a financial advisor. So he's, like, put all this, like, extra insur- like life insurance mm-hmm. on us. Like, he's just, like, freaked out. And wow. he just didn't know, like, how to deal with it all because he's usually the one that, takes care of everything, but he couldn't fix what was was happening. It just, it just, it is what it is. So I think that's what frustrated him the most. And how did you handle that? I mean, you're still training every day. Your husband's going through this. Your father-in-law, how were you able to handle it all and stay focused somewhat? Well, he was trying to hide it from me because he didn't want me to get distracted. You know, he's also in my corner and we just stayed close in touch and, and, there were so many things going on that had to get taken care of. Yeah. That, that that's how we handled it. We just took care of what needed to get taken care of. And, and we would talk to his parents. And his dad's situation became motivation for us to push forward. You know, like yeah. all the small, small minor things that he, he was accomplishing, whether it was moving his fingers or being able to get in an actual wheelchair like that was Mm. a huge accomplishment for him and so we kind of just rallied behind each other they rallied behind me getting ready to fight and we rallied behind him every day like 
in his PT progress, you know, and so that's kind of how we dealt with it. How is he doing now? Um, so he's home now. They converted the house and, and made it, like, accessible. He's home now, and he's doing PT. The doctor that saw him originally, the one that said that he would never— the doctor said he'd be paralyzed from the neck down and was really shocked. Wow at his progression. So now he's in a wheelchair, he's able, he has movement in his hands. He's doing PT in the water and we're just, we're just hopeful. One day at a time. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. good. So during that whole fight camp, eight, 10 weeks, how did it end up? Were you uh, able to fight well? Were you able to, I mean, how did you focus on fight day without feeling like this selfishness or like this lack of care or all the things you're feeling? I felt great. Like, I, I really did have a good camp, despite everything that happened. My weight was good. I felt stronger than ever. But I did feel distracted. And usually it's okay to distract yourself a bit, but if you distract yourself too much, you don't allow yourself to deal with what's really in front of you, which was a fight. You get kicked in the face. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I didn't deal with that, and it cost me the fight. It did? You know? Yeah. I lost the fight. I mean, like I said, there are so many different things that go into it. Like I said, I felt great. Mm -hmm. I had a great camp. We had a great game plan. But there were also moments where I wasn't, I wasn't focused on the fight because I was, in my head, I pictured this, movie ending mm. where you know grandpa macho was gonna see me win the fight i was gonna get on the mic and i was gonna say you know this is for you grandpa and he was gonna get up out of the wheelchair you know in a miracle and like i had these i had these like mm. dreams and like fantasies of like it being that okay and it wasn't yeah. <laughs> it wasn't you lost i lost my fight I was beat up. He was still struggling. He was still struggling. I was in the hospital until 1 o'clock in the morning. Your husband's having breakdowns. Yeah. Yeah. And that's life. Yeah. And so... Um, what was the next step you made after that fight? Just... Did you give yourself a break and relax? Did you get right back into training? Did you beat yourself up? Yeah. Everything. <laughs> you got a manicure, you beat yourself up, you were training, everything. I probably ate like five tubs of ice cream in one sitting. Oh man, <laughs> I've been there many times. I did beat myself up. There was a lot of introspective thinking, trying to break down, trying to figure out what went wrong. And then, like I said, when my coach was just like, kind of just like, you have to let it go. You have yeah. to move on. Yeah. And when we decided to move on, we just, you know, really took the time to focus on family and and just uh, look. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I really was, like, I wasn't present. I was present somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So I had to understand that. Like, I had to understand that yeah. I needed to be present and that... That's just the way the cards were dealt for me. And I can't be upset about it. And I, I have to move forward from it. Yeah. Like, How do you get back to keeping your mental strength after a, an injury, a bad loss, or something like this happening? How do you get back to focus, mental strength, confidence, 
when it's seemingly gone. Yeah. It's like digging yourself out of a hole. You just have to do it like one step at a time. And you have to consistently work at it, I think, because it's easier to listen to the voices in your head and to the, the media about all the negativity. I don't know why it's so much easier to let the negative stuff creep into your brain than it is to fight that and to be positive. But you really do have to fight it. Like it is, it really is a work in progress. Um, so every time I, I, you know, I start to think negative thoughts, I, I just take a deep breath and tell myself confidence. confidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I try to focus on the small picture. I don't look at the big picture. It's like trying mm. to tell yourself to, that you're going to get up a mountain in one day. You're just not. So it's just like one step at a time. You go to practice, and today I'm going to work on my jab. You know, and if I get punched a million times, it's okay because I worked on my jab, and I know that I landed ten good jabs. And when I focus on some, when I have a, like a small goal, and I focus on that, then then I'm less likely to let those other things that went wrong cloud my brain mm-hmm. what's the greatest lesson your mom taught you that has supported you in getting where you're at mm-hmm. my mom has always been like I was saying she's like really hard on me you know she's but it's all from love and to be honest I think that's probably the biggest thing I can take away from that is like if I can take criticism from my mom, then I should be able to take it from anybody else. Yeah. You know? How many people can take it from their mom? If my mom is sitting here telling me that I did a bad job and I still love her and she still loves me, then I can take it from anybody else. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know? So the ability to take in the things that she's saying, even though they're super negative sometimes, and to know that it's coming from a place of love. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, like she'll tell me like, I literally, the, my last fight, the week before my fight, she's like, Michelle, you need to put your right hand up, okay? You always get punched in the face on your right side all the time. Punch in the face on the right side. You get beat up all the time. Like a week before my fight, I'm like, really don't need to be hearing yeah. that. I know this too. Yeah. My coach is telling me I can watch the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or she'll tell, like, you know, she's really good. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of nervous. You know, did you see her muscle? Really big, really tall. I'm scared. Like, oh wow, those are the things that she tells me. I'm not sure if she thinks that it's gonna give me confidence, but I've been able to take the things that she tells me, Mm -hmm. and like I said, knowing that it's coming from a place of love, instead of getting angry and pent up about the things that she says, just taking a deep breath and kind of like working it through my machine and transforming it into confidence. Yeah. What's the greatest lesson your dad taught you about being a better woman? My dad would always tell me to never let anybody get in my way of my dreams, not even myself. And I think that's probably the biggest thing because I do. Like I allow myself to, I sabotage myself a lot because I, I don't know, because I, don't think I deserve it because I don't think I'm ready because I'm scared of success. You know, but that's probably the biggest thing that my best thing my dad taught. What would make you feel like you deserve it or that you're ready? I talked about this with my sports psychologist and I finally came to a place 
of content with that answer. And it goes to the idea of being great. I would always tell him, and it might be because of my martial arts background and my upbringing, but it's like, well, first you have to get your white belt, yellow belt, orange belt. You have, there are steps to this before you become a black belt. So in my mind, it's like, before I become a champ, before I become Holly Holm or, or Muhammad Ali, like, I have to go through these steps. And I was telling my sports psychologist that, his name is Dr. Will, Will Shandon, and he said, do you think that when Muhammad Ali was a champion that he still had things to work on? And of course he did. Everybody always has things to work on. And then he said, but do you think that stopped him from being great in that moment? And it didn't. So, so I've finally allowed myself to accept the greatness of myself in the present moment while still knowing that there are things that I have to improve on. Mm-hmm. Or not have to, but want to. So that's been my biggest thing is like, giving myself that opportunity to be great now while I'm still fixing my flaws. Mm-hmm. The permission to, to achieve yes. it now and not like, well, I have to wait until I hit these steps. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. yeah. What do you want your daughter to know about you? What type of example do you want to set for her? And if she was proud, if you wanted her to be proud of one thing about you, mm-hmm. what would that be? I hope it's that throughout everything, that I never let go of my dreams. And that a big one is is actually having her. You know, I had her in the middle of my career. So there was a lot of unknowns. Can I go back into fighting? Will I want to go back into fighting? Will it be good enough to go back into fighting? And and I did. And I was more successful after the fact. Really? Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because I had a reason. You know, before it was obviously a passion of mine, but after having her, it was like, I can't just fight because I enjoy it. Like, it has to be a career. I have to make an impact. I have to, hmm. I have to be able to make it something that can support my family financially. Yeah, I don't know. I just, my dad has also been like a big, has always told me like that your actions speak louder than your words. And so... I think that by pursuing my dreams, it'll show her more than me telling her, go after your dreams, baby. You know, like, you can do it. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. This is called The Three Truths, and I ask everyone this question at the end. So imagine this is your last day many years from now, and it's your last day on Earth. You're as old as you want to be, and you've achieved every dream you want. You've got the family you want, you've traveled, do it, you've done it all. But whatever you've done, you have to take it all with you. So all of your work, all So am, your, I, am I going to a different planet or am you're, I? You're, you're dying. Okay. It's your last day on Earth, right? Okay. Unless we've evolved some way and you go to some other planet, yeah. It's the last day on Earth, right? It's the last day people will see you. You've done it all. But for whatever reason, no one has access to your information anymore. Or the things you've said, or this interview, or mm-hmm. your work, your videos, they can't watch anymore. But you get to write down on a piece of paper the three things you know to be true about all of your experiences. From being a mother, a wife, a daughter, a fighter, everything you've done boils down to three truths that you would leave behind for people to be remembering you by. What would you say are those three lessons or three truths that you would share? Okay. I would say that 
it's important to be a person of action, to not just dream and keep your head in the clouds, but to actually do. Mm-hmm. I would say that another one would be to truly invest in the people that matter to you. And when I say invest, I mean your time and your blood and your sweat and your tears and your heart. Um, because so many times we invest in the wrong things. We invest our time in the wrong things. And and when it's all said and done, that's a lot of people's biggest regrets. And you can't take time back. And I would say the last thing would be that we're all gonna we're all gonna run into challenges and adversities. That's just the way the world works. And um, to let your circumstances, to let your adversities, to let your challenges be the wind that strengthens your character, that strengthens the roots of your soul, and to not let the wind break you, but to let it strengthen you. Mm-hmm. Those are powerful. Those are great. I want to acknowledge you for a moment because from the moment I met you until now, you've shown up strong and vulnerable. You've shown up loving and passionate. And I think you're an incredible example of someone who is doing it all. You've got an incredible daughter, incredible family. You're giving, you're compassionate. All these things you're doing and you're fighting for your dreams in a respectful way. And I think it's an incredible example of how to be a powerful woman in today. And so I want to really acknowledge you for all that you're doing and all the inspiration you have in the world. And um, thanks for sharing everything today. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Is there any final thing you'd like to share or wish we talked about that we haven't talked about? No, i just like to thank you because I think sometimes I try to shy away from the hard questions and it's nice to be, be forced <laughs> Gently forced yeah, yeah. to answer those Encouraged. questions. Yes, that's Encouraged. the word I was looking for. Encouragement. Yeah. <laughs> Where can we connect with you online? I'm at Karate Hottie MMA, and I'm probably the most active on Instagram. Okay, cool. You have a website as well? Or? I do have a website, but I'm not active on it. Yeah. I've really been trying to put more effort into my YouTube channel and putting up like vlogs and tutorials cool. and stuff like that. So. Karate Hottie MMA on YouTube as well. I think so. Or it's Michelle Watterson, the Karate Hottie, okay. something with the Karate Hottie in we'll it. We'll find it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, find we'll it. link it up for you. <laughs> Very cool. Final question then is what's your definition? Well, actually, first, when's your next fight? No, I don't have any fights scheduled. No fights scheduled. right now. I don't okay, have any cool. fights scheduled. So how can we be in tune to that if we want to watch a fight? Just watch you on Instagram. You'll announce it, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, I'll keep everybody posted on Instagram. Okay. Um, summer's kind of busy. I'm out here in L.A., going to be behind the desk so it's something i'm trying to pursue yeah okay and then yeah just continuing to get better as a martial artist and hopefully i'm I'm guessing september time frame is when i'll fight again september time frame and where are you based what city i'm in albuquerque and do you do workshops there as well if someone wanted to come to a workshop i don't but i will you will (laughs) got it okay so so they can reach you uh on instagram they can message you there or they can email you on your site yeah if they want to do something. Okay, cool. Final question then, what's your definition of greatness? I think we kind of touched on it earlier, but the ability to to accept the greatness in who you are at this present moment with all your flaws, but 
to also have the hunger and desire to want to grow and evolve each day. Mm. Michelle, thank you. Appreciate it. Bam. <laughs> I love this. I love when people open up. I love when they share and break down the things that hold them back, but also the things that have gotten them to where they are to help them be successful and achieve their goals, their dreams, so that we can lean in and learn from these inspiring individuals and apply that wisdom to our life. If you enjoyed this, make sure to share with your friend, take a story, a screenshot and post a story on your Instagram page, lewishouse.com slash 655. You can tag Michelle as well and post it on Twitter, Facebook, all the places, and let me know what you thought of this one. Again, share it with a friend, lewishouse.com slash 655. The full video interview is over on our show notes there on our YouTube channel as well. Make sure to subscribe because every week we've got powerful video interviews over on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash lewishouse as well. And I want you to remember one thing that you are here for a reason and a mission and a purpose in this life. You were born with an amazing ability and it's your duty to figure out what the reason is that you're here for. It's your duty right now to discover that. I don't care if you're in transition. I don't care if you're depressed, if you're hurt, you're in pain, you're uncertain, you're scared. It doesn't matter. Your duty is to figure out what it is you're here for right now. And the best way to feel better and the best way to grow and the best way to achieve your dreams is to serve others. Living a life of service. That can be just doing what you love because doing what you love will inspire people around you through your energy, through your passion, through your heart. That's what this life is about. Living in service by doing the thing that you love the most. The reason you were born is a one and only reason and only you get to figure out what that is. You can get support from others. You can get feedback, but you got to listen to the heart and soul inside of you and reach for what you want and start taking those steps today. I love you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, let me know on Instagram at Lewis House. And as always, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and nada yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch to Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.